This is a CBC Podcast. I've been thinking a lot about viruses lately, and I really don't know why. Concerns over a spike in a deadly new coronavirus. It's now spread across China to Thailand, Japan and South Korea. Italian officials confirm another surge in new While cases. A second case has been confirmed in the U.S. The world is now in the midst of a global health emergency. Under strict quarantine. Go home and stay home. Oh yeah, that thing. It's just mind-boggling, you know, that a virus, something so teeny tiny, a thousand times smaller than a dust mite, but has such a massive impact on literally everybody on Earth. And like, there are human viruses, there are plant viruses, heck, there are even elephant viruses. And they all just seem to be really, really good at getting in their host and causing a lot of damage. But how does something so small cause such mayhem? How do they do that? And why are some viruses so much worse and more powerful than others? Why are viruses so good at what they do? Ty asks why. I'm Ty, and this is my podcast, Ty Asks Why. There are just so many good questions out there that you really want to have answered. Why do we dance? How is the universe going to end? What's happening in my teen brain? Where's the internet? What's at the bottom of our oceans? And why are viruses so good at what they do? Hey guys, I got a little secret to share with you. Normally, I do this podcast from the CBC studios in downtown Toronto. It's a really big building, very fancy, filled with some very important people. Like sometimes I'll see the cast of Shit's Creek in the elevator. Good for me! Yes! Or sometimes I'll accidentally interrupt Lisa Loeb doing an interview. Hey, Tide. It's great. But not this season. This season, because we're all on lockdown, the CBC studios are off-limits to pretty much everybody. So I'm recording this podcast from my dad's closet. Okay, let's just do a quick sound check. And instead of professional sound engineers, I got my dad to fill the role. Okay, we're recording. Let's try this again. Hold on. Can, can you sit a little this bit closer picks to me? Up. Now we're starting again. Thanks for putting up with me, Dad. But this episode isn't about where I am. It's about why I'm here. A virus. Hello, is this Seema? Hi, Ty. How are you? I'm good. I'm just chilling in my closet. Me too. That's Dr. Seema Yasmin. She's an epidemiologist who has worked for places like the U.S. Center for Disease Control and the Epidemic Intelligence Service. She studied big diseases like Ebola and HIV and, yep, even coronaviruses too. So I called her up, closet to closet, so I could ask why viruses are such a formidable foe. Viruses can feel like our enemy, but they're also part of us. About 8% of the human genome comes from ancient viruses. And it seems like there's a virus that played a massive part in our evolution that we could not have had placentas without a particular virus. What she's talking about is this virus that infected a human ancestor 160 million years ago. 
the virus completely messed with its genome, and it changed the way that mammals and eventually humans carry babies. Isn't that, like, so weird? I figured viruses were all just trying to kill us, but one actually helped us live. So, I guess not all viruses are evil. And there's just so many of them, Ty. We think that there are more viruses in the universe than there are stars in the sky. There's like a quadrillion, quadrillion viruses, which I mean, how do you even get your head around a number that big? But out of all of that, out of the quadrillion, quadrillion, there's only about 200 that we know of that infect humans. There are more that infect other animals. There are a bunch of viruses that infect plants. But when it comes to us, we only know about 200. And so I'm always thinking, oh, those are the ones we know about, but there are others out there that are just like waiting to infect us. It's the glory of the unknown, right? There's just, if there's so many of them and we know that these ones are good and these ones might be bad, what could the rest of them do? Exactly. And you know, as humans, we have so much pride. We're top of the food chain. We think we know everything. And then, like, look what's happening now with the coronavirus. It takes this one microscopic thing to completely change the way we live. We're not really at the top, are we? I don't think we are. You know, right now we are ruled by something that we can't even see with the, the naked eye. And I think it's humbling. I think it's good for us as humans to be humbled. And I think we have a lot to learn from viruses, to be honest. So you mentioned how there were a quadrillion, quadrillion viruses out there. And I mean, the Earth is, it's pretty big, but it's not that big. So why aren't we sick, like, all the time if we're just constantly surrounded by hundreds or even millions of these little things? Oh, that's such a good question. I think there's so many different responses to that. I think one response is that it's not to their benefit to completely destroy us. It's better for viruses to have some humans around so that they can keep on infecting us. And one of the reasons for that is that because unlike bacteria, viruses can't just survive and replicate on their own. They need our cells to get into, then to hijack ourselves, take over ourselves, and use us to make more copies of virus. So if they just completely wiped us out, then that wouldn't be very helpful for those viruses that do infect humans. But the other reason is that we do have defenses against viruses. So at any given time, we probably have a ton of viruses in us and on us, and we have this good balance between our immune system and those infectious particles where we're kind of just fighting them off and we're comfortable, and that's why we're not always getting sick. Well, it's a little bit disturbing to think that these viruses are kind of hurting us around like sheep, but I think it's also kind of good, just a reassurance that our defense system seems to be quite effective. Totally, yeah. Now, you keep mentioning how these viruses, you know, they need us to do their things, but how do viruses actually work? I think they're amazing because there's very little to them, actually. I sometimes describe viruses as just a little blob of DNA or RNA gift-wrapped in some proteins and then maybe wearing a fatty rain jacket on top. That's all there is to them. But what they do is they latch onto receptors that stick off the outside of some of our cells. 
they use that to get into our cell and then they take over the inside of our cell so that instead of doing the work it's supposed to do for us, the virus uses our cellular machinery to make more copies of itself. It literally turns some of our cells into virus-making factories. And they're so cheeky because those of them that do have that fatty envelope on the outside, the one that I describe as a rain jacket, they often steal that from our own cell membrane. So they're really crafty, really nifty, they're opportunistic, they look at our cells and all they see is, hey, I'm going to use this to make more copies of me. It's really weird to think that, you know, they're just, they try to like sneak in, it's like a heist, and once they're in, they just kind of use the things that our cells do to make our bodies work and just make a ton more of them to just keep going on. Yeah, and that's their whole MO tie. They just want to make more copies of themselves. So whatever it takes to do that, they will do. And actually, you know how we were talking about microscopic viruses like changing our lives and changing the world? Some viruses even change our behavior. They change the things that we do. And not because of some like weird experiment. Everything they do has the goal in mind of helping them make more copies of themselves. So I'll give you an example. There were some studies done not too long ago that found that when people are infected with flu, in the few days before they get sick, say like one or two days before symptoms start, at that point, the person's infected and they're already contagious, right? So they're not sick yet. They're about to get sick in a day or two, but they're already able to spread the virus. This study found that in those one or two days, people are more sociable than they usually would be. So say the person is actually going to start showing symptoms on Monday, but they're infectious Saturday, Sunday. What this study is saying is that the people on Saturday and Sunday would be like, hmm, usually I cook dinner on a Saturday and stay in. Let's go to a restaurant tonight. And then let's go to a nightclub after that, which I think is so interesting. This idea that viruses might change our behavior just to like make us go out more, be exposed to more people and spread more of the virus. Oh my God, they're controlling us. Brain control, what? They're controlling our brains. (laughs) Oh my God, we're just these like little flu zombies then, huh? I'm telling you, we think we're so smart. And actually, in some cases, they're just they're just using us. Oh, this is so freaky. We're just like meat puppets being controlled by viruses to spread them around and help them to survive. And, you know, if you ever feel alone, know that you're never really alone. There's millions of viruses keeping you company at all times. But sometimes you do want humans to keep you company. So I've invited my friends Piper, Finn, Zoe, and Caden over to hang out in my backyard. I haven't seen them in almost five months because we've all been at home quarantining, trying to stay safe from this coronavirus. And I have to admit, it's been really hard not seeing them in class every day. I'm doing it because I wanted to though, not because a virus is telling me to be social, hopefully. But we're physically distancing, just to be sure. Should I keep the mask on when I'm talking to the mic? You might, you might want to take it off. Yeah, I it might just, muffle it. So, have you guys met with a lot of people recently? No. no. A little no. bit. <laughs> One person. Yeah, I just, it's weird to actually be with a group of people. I know. Yeah, it is weird. 
Yeah, I think after quarantine, everybody's going to be like, if somebody coughs, everybody's going to scream and run away. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Before, getting sick was just kind of like, you know, you could get sick and, you know, you get a cough and you get to stay at home a couple of days in school. But I just didn't really imagine that there would be this crazy thing that would just sweep the earth like really quickly and we'd have to do something Even like this. Even in flu season, like they would say, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer. Getting sick was just getting sick. It was just something that happened. I hadn't really given much thought to it. But social distancing was never a thing. I've never had to distance with people, which mm-hmm. is so weird. It's, I don't think any of us have. And yeah. that's, what, that's what's so weird about this, not being able to be close to anyone. Finn's right. This is by far the weirdest thing we've had to do. Humans are social creatures, and it's really unnatural for us to be so isolated. And it's making me think, like, why is that the thing to do? Dr. Seema explained how a virus can infect my body and change my behaviors. But I still don't really know how a virus actually spreads. It's not like it has legs and just kind of walk to the next person. Really, they're dependent on us to, to help them move around. This is Dr. Lena Sirik. She's an environmental engineer at the University College London, and she studies how microbes, including viruses, move around within an environment, like schools or hospitals. Either you'll pick it up by touching a surface or a person who who has virus on them, or it could be that you breathe in a droplet that's got um, some virus within it that somebody else has coughed up, or it's come out while they've been talking or breathing or anything else that involves air coming out of your mouth or nose. Okay, so they just will attach themselves to these little drops of like really small bits of water and then they just try to sail along with the wind and try to hop onto another person. Exactly that, yeah. Recently, Lena did this experiment where she wanted to see how well a microbe, like a virus, can spread around a supposedly clean environment, like a hospital. So we just put a small drop, this piece of DNA like a marker, basically. We just put a bit of it of this stuff onto the bed rail of a hospital bed. So we put this on in the morning, and then we took samples from a load of different surfaces within that ward later that evening. And we basically found that within 10 hours, about... 40% of the different surfaces that we sampled around the ward were contaminated with this DNA marker. Oh, oh, well, that's not scary at all. That spread so far. Yeah, not only was it in so many places, but it was in so many of them quite quickly. Yeah. How did it spread so far so quickly? I think it just must have been the hands of, you know, of patients and their parents, but also the nurses and stuff. You know, it's inevitable that people are going to fiddle with different surfaces and then, you know, they'll open the door. Then somebody else might touch that door, take it somewhere else. We don't really think about all of the different surfaces that we touch in our everyday life. I guess we think about it a little bit more now because of the pandemic. But a lot of the time you might just automatically touch something and not even realise. So it's, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Yeah, humans are quite touchy-feely. I mean... It's like this thing I saw. It was just try to count how many times you, like, don't realize you touch your face in, like, two minutes. Yeah. And, like, 
my brother scored like 20. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always telling my son, you know, when we go out and about, don't touch your face, don't touch your face. And then the next thing I know, he's picking his nose. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. The good thing is, knowing how viruses spread means we can learn how to stop them from spreading. Although most of this stuff we've known for quite a while. So it is destroyed if you wash your hands. So if you put it on your hand and then wash your hands with soap and water, it comes off. If you put it on your hand and then use hand sanitizer, it's, it, that destroys it as well. I actually think one of the major issues with this pandemic, it's, you know, we, in theory, we know how to stop this. We know that if we wear masks, it's going to reduce the chances of spread. We know that if we wash our hands, it's going to reduce the chances of spread. We know that if we don't meet lots of people, that's going to reduce the chances of spread. But it's really difficult to enforce this, you know, as we've seen around the world. And also the decisions haven't been made just on the basis of public health, but they've also been made on the basis of, you know, economic impacts and social impacts. And I'm not saying that those aren't important, but they also play a part in this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. People aren't really going to cooperate as we've seen. You know, we can tell them and then, you know, people just don't like to do things that annoy them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But also, especially if you don't explain to them why, I think there's been a bit of a disconnect in... So people have been told you can do this, you can't do that, blah, blah, blah. But they haven't always been told why, what the reasoning behind that is. And I think if you understand the reasoning, you're probably more likely to do the instructed thing because it makes sense. Uh, whereas if you're just told you can do this and you can't do that, I mean, you know, generally people don't respond very well to that. So if, you know, you had perfect scenario, people cleaning surfaces a lot and people being proactive, would it be possible to have an environment that's just free of viruses? No, I don't think that would be possible. I mean, the environment would have fewer viruses, but I don't think it would ever be totally free of them. Sterility is not something that we, we can ever achieve, really. So basically just eliminating any sort of microbial life on a, on a surface or in a space. It's, it's something that we can achieve like in clean rooms where, you know, drugs are manufactured and stuff, but that's not something we can achieve in a space where, you know, people interact together. Huh. So viruses are really good at their jobs because we keep helping them spread around. As long as we're interacting with each other, they can jump around on our droplets and take a ride on our surfaces. They bank on us being social creatures because I guess we always have been, up until now. So this is why, in order to beat this coronavirus, we have to stay apart. It's like they're using our greatest strength, togetherness, against us? It makes me kind of think of this thing that Dr. Yasmin had said. I'm telling you, we think we're so smart and actually in some cases they're just they're just using us. But then it comes back to that point of, well, humans have managed to thrive. We're not constantly sick, right? We're not overrun with viruses at certain points in human history. For sure, we've had pandemics. COVID-19 ain't the first one and it ain't going to be the last one. But we do live in this kind of balance of they're trying to do their thing and then we're just over here trying to survive, too. 
I have to say, after all of this, I kind of have a respect for viruses. They've evolved to be very good at what they do, and it's a little bit scary, frankly, but we've evolved alongside them and have figured out ways to fight back against them. We have soap and technology on our side, but they also have a really quick evolutionary turnaround on their side, so we're just gonna have to stay vigilant to be able to keep up the fight. They're like comic book villains. We can't really kill them, but we also can't live without them. I guess I feel better knowing all of this, but I don't feel 100% better. After all, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. Kind of weird to be growing up at a time like this. Yeah, it's super weird. I saw people wearing masks and I was like, oh. Yeah, well, like <laughs> I think they were saying a couple days ago that it's like we should expect um, two to three more years of this. And also just I've been thinking like pretty much ever since we locked down, like what will the world be after this, you know? I guess that's one question I don't have the answer to. But hey, we've made it this far. I know we'll make it through. Somehow. Ty asked why. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Ty Pool. This show is produced by the awesome Amanda Buckowitz and Judy Z. Goo. Judy's also our digital producer. The theme music is by Johnny Spence. Sound engineer is my dad, Min Nguyen, and our location manager is my mom, Nikki Poole. Thanks guys for stepping in and letting me invade your closet. This podcast was created by Veronica Simmons, and she's also our editor and sound designer. Today, my guests were Seema Yasmin and Lena Sirik. Special thanks to Austin Pomeroy for his assistance, and my friends Zoe, Piper, Finn, and Caden for talking to me about viruses. Our senior producer is Tina Verma, and executive producer of CBC Podcast is Arif Norani. Till next time, I'm Ty. Keep asking why. And also, washing your hands, please. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.